that button. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We've got the recording going. We just prayed, and now we're going to study Ma uh, Matthew chapter 13. So the backstory here is we're in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four um, biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each tell a slightly different story, but with the same goal to tell you what happened in his life as they have researched it and remember it. And we've seen that Matthew is trying to convince his readers the thing that he's convinced of, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the rightful King of Israel, and that he's God in human flesh. And he's proved it so many ways in his <clears throat> genealogy, in the baptism where the Father spoke and the Holy Spirit descended. He has proved it with the miracles, with three chapters of wisdom in his teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He's proved it by the testimony of many people, including John the Baptist. But what has occurred in chapter 11 and 12 and 13 is the Jews, for the most part, and the religious leaders have made, they've come to their verdict, which is eh, kind of indifference. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, are actively hostile to Jesus. They see him as a false teacher, competition for the religious market, if you will, and so they seek to destroy him in some way. So the turning point that we've just come to is chapter 13, where he starts teaching pretty much only in parables publicly. A parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning is one way to think of it. They're symbolic. You can make parables say more than they say if you take it too literally. We're going to see two parables. I think we'll get to them tonight that I've spent more time on than I should, but it's tough. Anyway, I'll, I'll explain that when we get there. Uh, let's see. So he's speaking only in parables because those who believe will understand. And sometimes the apostles are going to ask him in this chapter, what did you mean by that parable? And he's going to tell them, which is great for me teaching the Bible, because I don't have to wonder, what did that one mean? I'll take Jesus's word. Amen. So uh, he's teaching in parables so that so to sort of speak in code so that believers will grow and learn and the unbelievers, it'll go right over their heads. They won't understand. And in a sense, they won't be judged for more information that they have for which they would be responsible to either believe it and act on it or, or uh, you know, say they don't want it. And that would incur more punishment. All right, we're going to be in verse 11 of chapter 13. But so that I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Okay, pretty good. And those of you on Zoom, say amen or wave amen from Zoom land. Welcome. The Harmelins are here. I love that. Okay, verse and notice verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? The reason they asked that question is, it's not the clearest form of communication. You want to get a point across, he'll say, once there was a, ma a man with two sons, and one of them, why don't you just tell us what you mean? It's sort of in code. It's, it's veiled to unbelievers. Believers get it. So we being believers, we're going to try to get it. He's going to answer that question, why do you speak to the people in parables? Verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And there's a principle in verse 12. Let's take those two verses together. Whoever has 
will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Uh, so go back to verse 11. Notice that there's knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. It's not all laid out on the surface. The whole idea of the Messiah being the Messiah for the world is somewhat veiled in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. They understood the Messiah was going to be their king, Jewish king, which he is, and his kingdom would never end. By the way, to do that, you have to be God, because any man's kingdom, the guy's going to get old like I am and pass away one of these days. So there are secrets that are concealed or hinted at in the Old Testament that are revealed and made much more clear in the new. So this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, by the way, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, synonymous. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. A lot of Orthodox Jews will not even say the word God or Yahweh. I've been on Jewish websites where every time the word God appears, it's capital G space or or dash D. They don't even want to, it's so holy, I don't even want to mention the name. So he calls it the kingdom of heaven. The two terms are synonymous. It's God's kingdom, which implies what? There's a king. It's not you. It's not me. It's God. The kingdom of heaven, though those secrets have been given to you, but not to them. Now, if that sounds like it's not fair, that's why verse 12 explains. Whoever has, and he means has faith, has the spiritual knowledge, the soft heart that has received the faith, faith you get more. Do you see it there? They will have an abundance uh, and they'll be given more, verse 12. Whoever does not have, they don't believe, the Pharisees, the, the Jews that want to stone him or whatever, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's why he's speaking in parables. Now, this is, if you know anything about forms of government, there's a form of government called socialism, right? Which is the opposite of this. Those who have, we take from them and give to those who don't, right? This is the opposite of socialism, which is those that have, I'm going to give them more information. They'll, their faith will grow. Those that don't have, they're not going to get any more. And even what they have, the faith they have is going to be taken from them. They won't have any faith. They'll be um, disengaged from God. Ken, do you have a question? Jesus mentioned here, is that synonymous with mysteries? Yeah, he's asking about the word mysteries or secrets. It's in, and, and oddly enough, in Greek, the word, I'm not making this up, the word is mysterion. And it means not things that well, we'll never know. It's a mystery. It means things that beforehand, as I said, were hidden in the Old Testament that might have been veiled or, or hinted at, but they're revealed in the New Testament. So yeah, it's the same sort of thing. Um, so uh, it's truth in a veiled sort of a way. It's interesting that he's able to say what he wants. Believers are nourished and get it. Unbelievers don't get anything out of it. Um, they've had their chance. They've, they have rejected Jesus, even though they've been shown evidence that he controls the weather, you know, stops storms and all of that. Heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out demons, 
blind eyes see, on and on and on. So many evidences. When we are given evidence, we are required to respond to it. You're responsible for how much you've been given spiritually. Um, so this is a great truth, and don't read this in the third person. By that it means, by that I mean, uh, verse 11. Because the knowledge of the secrets of God of heaven has been given to you, not to them. He doesn't mean you, just the apostles and those who are following him. Guess who else he means? He means you, right? You hear the Bible and understand it and learn every time you read it and or hear a sermon or a Bible study and what have you. I don't know about you. I've told you this before. I read quite a bit of the Bible before I was a believer. Anybody else here ever do that? And it just was confusing. It felt like I was reading somebody else's mail. It literally, I thought, I don't know that this book makes that much sense. I read the same passages now and marvel at how much is there and how much I understand. It's not because I got smarter. It's because without the Holy Spirit, it's going to go over your head kind of thing. Okay, so praise God, we understand it. We get the inside track to get the secrets of the kingdom. And we are those, in verse 12, who have. We have faith. We are going to be given more. But I want you to know that it is of a varying degree and amount. And what do you mean by that? I mean, have you ever met people that can... I knew a lady, she died at, I think, 80. Pat Miller was her name. She used to come to this Bible study. What a, One of those saints of God that she used to hate when I would say this, but she would like glow in the dark. She was so holy. You know those kind of people? She hated that. Um, anyway, uh, at 80, she memorized most of the book of Hebrews. I mean, and had such knowledge of the scriptures. Why is that? She spent the time in the scriptures and in prayer and just, it, it was the biggest thing in her life. Okay. So, um, here's the thing about verse 12. Um, if you don't have, even what you have will be taken from you. But if you do have, you'll be getting more. You'll have an abundance. Think of parables and think of verse 12 this way. Okay? It's in Fresno. It's July. It's 114 degrees. Got the picture? And we're on the sidewalk with a wet piece of clay and some wax. And we're going to leave on the sidewalk the, the wax and the clay. What's going to happen by the end of the day? The clay will be dry and hard as a rock. The same sun that hardened the clay, the unbelievers, is going to soften that wax to where it's almost liquid. Isn't that interesting? It's the same sun. Listen, it's the same gospel that you hear, that they hear, except without the transmitter or the receiver, I should say, of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, they can't hear it. We hear it. We hear God's word. Uh, praise God. Not because we're smarter, because we have the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. And now he's going to quote something from the uh, Old Testament, Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Listen to it. Uh, Though seeing, this is, by the way, Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. Um, I could get this wrong, but somewhere between seven and 900 years, I think, before Jesus shows up, Isaiah. He's writing about his own people. God has given him these words 
prophesying that the Jews are going to start to not really hear anymore spiritually. Watch or see. Verse 13, though seeing, they, that's the Jews, do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. They can see the miracles, the healings, the rising from the dead, all the things I mentioned, and not understand the implications of that. A logical thought, a mind that's working well would think, who else can do this? The chief priests and the Pharisees can't heal and raise the dead and cast out demons. This guy controls storms. It must be God in a human body. He must be the Messiah. But he's not the Messiah they're expecting, as we've said many, many times. Okay, so even though they hear, they hear the words, no comprendo. Remember that verse in Spanish? Those of you that took Spanish, they don't understand. Um, ever seeing, but never really seeing, perceiving spiritually. Listen to verse 15, for this people's heart, he's talking about the Jews, but it could refer to anybody who doesn't believe. This people's heart has become calloused. Think stiff-necked, think hardened hearts. This people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. That's interesting because that implies they have closed their own eyes, implies a willful, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it, right? They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, I'm still in verse 15. They might see with their ears, hear with, uh, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. That's something new, right? It's not just these two senses. It goes right to the heart. Understand with their hearts and turn. What's that? Repent and believe the good news, right? What did John the Baptist preach? Main message, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. First messages of Jesus, if you read Matthew, uh, the gospel of Matthew, repent. The kingdom of heaven, it's here. It's at hand. Otherwise, if they would hear and see, understand with their hearts, they would turn and it says, and I would heal them. What's the context? spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. Is that a physical healing? Not necessarily. It's a spiritual healing for what's lacking in them. So it, that is a judgment, if you will, on Israel uh, back in Isaiah, that the time will come where they're just not going to hear, they're not going to listen anymore. Are they still going to synagogue and are still going to temple? Yes, but they're going through the motions and the sacrifices and the ceremonial washings. And I only eat kosher food and we have a lamb here. We're going to sacrifice it. They're going through the motions. Their heart isn't in it. They don't really believe. So as a judgment on them, he speaks in parables, which blesses those who hear, but it's a judgment on those that they don't have the decoder ring, if you will, to understand. So uh, let's see. I want to mention um, that, let's go to Romans for a second. That'll keep you awake. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good. Go to Romans, if you will. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans chapter 11. Okay, here's your quick course on the book of Romans. You ready? Uh, Romans is eight chapters of doctrine, and then... Three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, 
all about the Jews. It's doctrine about Christ, chapters 1 through 8, 9, 10, and 11. Chapter 9 is the Jews in the past. Chapter 10 is the Jews at the time Paul's writing. Chapter 11 is the Jews in the future. They don't believe. What's the deal? You're the Jewish Messiah. Jesus was. Chapter 11 of Romans, and we want verse 25 and 26. I sure hope I got this right. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has, he's going to explain why, doesn't, why don't the Jews believe. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, because there are some Jews that believe today and even back then, in part forever? No. Until something. What is it? Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. What an amazing verse. We're not given the number, but God knows. There's a certain number of Gentiles God intends to save. A Gentile's someone that's not a Jew, right? Could be Japanese, Italian, Irish, Arab, whatever. When that full number has come in, God will turn his attention to the Jews. The spirit will be all over them and they'll believe. You read Revelation, the 144,000, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of, right? The Jews at the end believe. Yes, there's a resurgence of Jewish belief now, but not like there will be at the end. Uh, Okay, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, that's Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Um, We really should look at one more verse. I'm really going to exercise your fingers today. I want you to go to Zechariah. So go back to Matthew and take a left. Two books to the left. That's the easy way to find Zechariah. Matthew, and then go two books to the left. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 12. I just want you to see what's going to happen to the Jews. They don't believe in their Messiah. They lost their nation until 1948. They lost the temple. They haven't had a single sacrifice since 70 AD. They haven't had a high priest. They haven't had a temple. Where the temple was, or at least where they think it was in Jerusalem, anybody know what's on that site? A mosque, the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque. Can you imagine? Those poor Jews. No, listen. The Jews refuse their Messiah. There's no need for a temple. The temple is your body where the Holy Spirit lives. There's no need for a high priest. We have a high priest, Jesus. There's no need for sacrifices year after year. He sacrificed himself. His blood is the blood of the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, you say, why am I in Zechariah? Look at verse 10. Future, notice the tense, I will. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's Jews, a spirit of grace and supplication. Now, who's talking here? God. God the Father? Yes. Listen, God, period. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Do you see that? Who's talking? God. Christ. They'll look on me, the one they've pierced, and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn each clan by itself, wives, clan, etc. 
He's talking about a moment that will come in the future where the Jews, the, remember in cartoons where the light bulb would go on? And they, you just, oh, I get it. Light bulbs are going to go on in Israel and all over the world where there's Jews, and they're going to go, oh, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. There's still hope for us, right? They've been waiting all this time. Any day now, he'll be here. Hasn't come. No, he came 2,000 years ago. They missed it. The Gentiles believed for the most part. Okay, so they will believe in the future. But there's a number that have to believe first. For now, there's a veil over their eyes. They can't see, most of them can't hear the truth. Go back to the text with me. Uh, go to verse 16. Now he's going to talk to the disciples, and by extension, he's going to talk to you and me. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. He doesn't mean vision, physical vision. He means spiritually, your eyes now see. And your ears, because they hear. How many have heard the saying, in America we have the saying, seeing is believing right? In the Bible, believing is seeing, right? You believe first, and then it all comes, becomes clear to you. Verse 17, but we are blessed. Our eyes do see, not because we're more spiritual or anything like that. God opened our eyes. We had to be born again. Verse 17, for truly I tell you, remember that's a phrase Jesus uses. It means, listen up, this is really important. For truly I tell you, verily, verily I say unto you, Many, this is an astounding thing, many prophets and righteous people, talking about the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, you could keep listing prophets, right? Many, pro Moses and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the whole Old Testament, they look forward to the coming of the Messiah. They prophesy about it. Isaiah prophesies about it. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, right? David writes about it, but they never got to see it like they're seeing it. 3D, he's here, right? We see it now by faith. The people he's talking to, the apostles, He's saying, you don't understand what thousands of years of Jewish history are behind us where they long to see it, you get to see and hear. Pretty amazing thing. Um, so, uh, okay, I'm on the wrong verse. There we go. An interesting verse is 1 Peter 1.12. Let's go there real quickly. I know we're taking a lot of detours, but it keeps you awake, and that's a good thing. 1 Peter Right after uh, Hebrews and James and all that, First Peter, what verse do we want? Chapter 1, verse 12. Well, prophets long to look and righteous people long to look. Who else longs to look? Verse 12. He was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here it comes. Even who? Angels long to look into these things. Their angels are watching over the guardrail of heaven going, wow, when Jesus is on the earth, when people like you and I are becoming believers, lives being changed. Even angels long to look. We have a very privileged position that we didn't deserve in that we hear 
spiritually we see. We can read the Bible. The Holy Spirit interprets scripture for us, turns on the light spiritually when we read. Okay, verse 18. So listen to what the parable of the sower means. Okay, so you say, wait, what are we talking about here? Now you got to go back to Matthew. I don't have it printed in front of me, so I'm going to go there in an actual Bible here. Matthew chapter 13, and we want the parable of the sower. Do you remember we covered it last week? And we talked about this, so we're just going to review it because it's important. It's the first and maybe most important uh, parable. Look at verse 3 of chapter 13. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. This is a parable. Parables generally don't have a name. The farmer was John. No, just a guy, of some farmer, right? Harold the farmer, right? No, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, not much depth. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Notice the variance in how much fruit each Christian produces. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the parable. He is not teaching you how to plant vegetables with seeds. It's not an agricultural lesson. Lesson. Verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. We covered this last week. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's the seeds, seeds sown along the path. A path would be never plowed. It would be pounded with soil and carts and animals and be very compacted, almost like cement. You throw some seeds down there, there's no way they can make their roots and get in there. It's so, it's a hard heart. The person doesn't want Jesus, doesn't want to hear it. His heart's already hardened. That seed, he says in verse 18, 19, sorry, they don't understand it. I want you to notice somebody comes and snatches it away. Do you see that? And who is it? It's the devil. Um, let's see. But the, the parallel there, I just want you to notice in verse 4 of Matthew 13, it says, who came? Birds. Not always, but often in the Bible, birds are symbolic of evil. They are in verse 4, because he explained it in verse 19. The devil, birds, snatch the seed away. He means the devil snatches the seed away. The devil's happy to take away the gospel seed. He hates Jesus. Okay, so that's the first type of seed uh, along the path. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Okay, so we talked about last week the fact that you can't tell by looking at the soil. My brother lives in Texas. It's the same as it is in parts of Israel where there's the soil, but you get a shovel and you, you hear, Ding! There's that much soil, and then there's a flat limestone shelf of rock. There isn't enough soil to make roots go down deep enough. That keeps the soil warm, so the seeds spring up quickly. But 
they, they wilt quickly in the sun. Let's see what Jesus says, verse 21. But they have, uh, it's, uh, they receive it at first with joy. You ever meet people that are so into Jesus, I'm, oh I'm, man, I gotta tell everybody. And then you see them six months later and they're back to their old ways and you think, did they lose their salvation? The Bible says, 1 John 2, 19 and 20, they never had it. When the seed grows in the good soil, it produces a crop. It doesn't die out. So it looks like they believed they have what's called a said faith rather than a real faith, right? Okay, 21. Since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of Jesus, somebody ridicules them, they fall away. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns is someone who hears the word, but there's a competing something in the soil. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. What you would do is you would plow the soil, remove other stuff. This, this soil wasn't cleaned first. And the soil it represents of the thorns represents somebody that is so into the world and making money and being famous and being good looking and sex and power and getting three PhDs so people will respect me and think I'm smart. And that Jesus, the gospel starts to grow, but that other stuff, especially the love of money, do you see that deceitfulness of riches? We'll talk about that phrase in a second. They choke it out to where it can't grow. This is not shallow soil like the first one or hard soil like the one before. This is soil with too many competing things growing in it. So um, notice the phrase, the deceitfulness of riches. Riches, money, is deceitful. It's the big lie. Because if you get a lot of money, you'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll want a little more money because they have way more than I have. And it never seems to satisfy. It's deceitful. The Bible never says money is the root of all evil. Did you know that? It says the love of money, good one, Joyce, is the root of all evil. What you do with it, give it away, use it for the gospel, for helping churches get built in Zaire or somewhere. Wonderful. But Love of money, making it the thing, is it's deceitful. It'll ruin you. So the first soil, uh, it, it does, the seed doesn't penetrate. Satan snatches it away. Second soil, very shallow. At first, very excited about the gospel, but uh, very shallow belief, and they fall away. Third one, competing concerns. This is the soil that has bad, listen, priorities. I, we say in this Bible study often, God does not want to be in your top 10. He wants to be number one. Crown me or kill me. Nothing in between. I just want to add a little Jesus to my life as I'm going to law school or I'm starting a business and I figure it could help me. No, Jesus says, make me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Priorities. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we talked about that. We can move on from that one. Okay, so the last one, by the way, uh, <laughs> we pick on him a lot, don't we? The guy on TV who blinks a lot 
and meets in a stadium. He bought a stadium in Houston. His initials are Joel Osteen. He wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Don't you want your best life now? No, this is it. No, I'll wait. My best life is coming. Amen. Um, so in any case, uh, some have made a connection. Many of you have heard this, these three terms listed as the enemies of Christianity in our souls. And it's the world and the flesh and the devil. You ever heard that? The world, the way the world thinks, the flesh, all the inward lusts and desires like money or sex or whatever, drugs, and then the world, the flesh, and then the devil. Well, in reverse order, the first soil, who was involved? The devil. The second soil um, was the flesh, uh, very shallow. Third, third was the world. In any case, let's look at the good soil and then we'll move on. Verse 20. Three, but the seed falling on, oh, look at the last phrase, I'm sorry, verse 22. The word gets choked out and which makes it what? Unfruitful. That's the whole point, making fruit. You say, that's going to come up again. That's why I'm preceding the next verse with this information. What do you mean by fruit? Well, if we plant apple seeds, are we just hoping to get apple trees or is there something else? No, we want apples, fruit from the apples. In a Christian, that is the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, you know, all those things. But also it means an apple tree, let's say, takes four, six years, I don't even know, to come to maturity and be making a bunch of apples. Guess what? What's in the apples? More Seeds, more potential apple trees, which is more potential apples. What do you mean? I mean this. You become a Christian. You don't keep it to yourself. You share the gospel. And some people ridicule you, and some say get lost, and some say you've changed. You're not the drunk you used to be. We don't like you anymore. But some people hear it and believe it, and guess what? That's fruit. You can't take credit for it, and we want to, don't we? I led him to cry, heard a cry. Come on, the Holy Spirit prepared that heart a year before you got to him or her and softened and drew them. But we are to spread the gospel, aren't we? We are to be the guy spreading or gal spreading the seeds. Okay. The good soil, verse 23, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. What he doesn't tell you in this portion of scripture is, I'll guarantee you the Holy Spirit's been working on that guy or gal, convicting them of their sin, feeling the emptiness in their soul, wanting the gospel when it appears. Someone who hears the word and understands it, this is the one who produces fruit, produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It varies. Billy Graham, it wasn't 30 or 60 or 100 right? I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, maybe millions came to Christ through his ministry on TV, radio, stadiums. My wife and I went, saw him in a stadium in San Jose, full of people. And I thought, this is probably all Christians. And he gave a sermon that was direct and simple, some music first and what have you. And then he gave an altar call and I was shocked how many people came down the stairs to receive Jesus as their savior. It was unbelievable. 
In any case, sow the seed. Um, but the thing is, it's the same seed and the same sower, which is Jesus and us by extension. So what's this really about? It's about the soils, right? Is your heart hard? Go ahead, convince me about Jesus, but I don't want to hear it and make it fast. I don't know if that guy's ready. Or is your heart shallow where you're just more concerned with other stuff? Are there other things in your life, thorns, that are going to prevent it from really growing? Or has God prepared you and do you have a soft soil that's rich, ready to sprout? Okay. Jesus told them, verse 24, another parable. This is the parable chapter. Can you tell? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, remember the old the parable we just went through? This is different. Just going to say that. Not You can't make the same things. You can't make them walk on all fours and say, oh, that's that and that's that. Watch, it's different. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Let's say he's growing corn. Got the soil ready, plowed it, removed the thorns and the weeds, and planted corn. What's he expecting to grow? Corn. To make it better, we better make it, now that I think about it, wheat. He wants to grow wheat. Verse 25, but while everyone was sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. This is a guy with nothing better to do, right? He hates this farmer. Maybe he's a competing wheat farmer. A good way to ruin a guy's crop is sneak in a bunch of weeds there. Just absolutely evil. Okay, so while he's sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Verse 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your your field? Wheat, wheat, right? Yes. Where then did the weeds come from? We used Roundup. I'm just kidding. But anyway, where did the weeds come from? An enemy has done this. An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up, meaning the weeds? We're going to discuss this in a second. No, verse 29, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. The wheat's precious to me. The weeds are not. But in the pulling of the weeds, you might accidentally pull up some wheat. I don't want wheat. My people, I'm already giving it away, aren't I? harmed. Verse 30, let both grow, the weeds and the wheat. How long? Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The good news for you is that Jesus is going to interpret this so I don't have to. Look down at verse 36. We're skipping down. We're going to come back and we'll do 31. So that's the parable. You got it? 
Um, a little background, and then we'll get to verse 36. First of all, there's a thing called bearded darnel, which is a weed. It grows in the Middle East, and it looks just like wheat, but it's a weed. It has no nutritional value. It's not food, wheat. You can make bread. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. It's a weed. Second thing you should know. What you read about here, you may think, this is kind of a weird story. The guy plants a whole field of wheat, and some enemy, Harold over here, it's always Harold, comes at night and plants weeds just to ruin, because he hates the farmer. The farmer that plants the wheat is God. We're going to find out. The weeds are evil people. That, that live amongst Christians, both in the world and unfortunately in churches sometimes. Okay. Um, okay, so um, some translations have instead of weeds, the word tear, T-A-R-E, right? Do you have that? It's another word for wheat. It's, it's bearded Darnell, most likely. It looks just like wheat. It's a weed. Um, Okay, so yeah, that's the main thing. We got to come back to that. I hope I don't forget. Um, by the way, an interesting thing in Greek, you don't see it in most translations in English. In verse 24, what it really reads is the kingdom of heaven has become like a man who sowed good seed in his field, meaning this has developed over the years that God put good people on the earth, his believers, and Satan added some weeds here and there, if you will. Um, let's see, do we want to have any other background? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, I know what I want to tell you. The situation he's describing, where farmer Joe has a field of wheat, can't wait to see it sprout, and some guy that's my enemy plants weeds, it was so common that the Romans had a law against it. If you were caught sowing weeds in my field, you'd be in big trouble. So it did happen, what we're reading about. Okay, let's let Jesus tell us what this means, but you know what? We'll do it after our two-minute break. Right now, take your two-minute break, go back there, there's some treats, make sure you meet someone that you haven't met before, that's important. Those of you on Zoom, don't go away, I'll be right back, two minutes. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. We took our break. We're stuffing our faces, <laughs> most of us anyway. Um, I forgot to mention bearded Darnell tares are not only weeds, they're also poisonous. Isn't that interesting? Okay, let's get the explanation from Jesus in verse 36. This is the Bible study teacher's dream that I don't have to guess or read a million commentaries, even though I did, he's going to explain it. Then he left the crowd, verse 36, and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I love this. You got a problem? They come to him and they just say, could you explain the parable? I also love verse 37. He answered, not how dumb are you guys? Did you not listen? None of that. 
very patient with them. I'm thankful because he's patient with me too and you. They want him to explain it. Notice, when is this? He left the crowd and went into the house. Who gets this? The disciples. Who doesn't? The unbelievers outside. He answered, verse 20, 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Okay, you say, who's that? Jesus' favorite title for himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you very quickly. And I hope I remember where it was. Um, I have it in my notes somewhere. I think it's Daniel uh, 7, 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Parentheses, son of man, Old Testament, they would understand it means the representative of mankind. He's the second Adam. The first son of man was, in a sense, Adam. He's the second Adam, Jesus Christ. One like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. Tell us about this son of man, uh, Daniel. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Listen to this. This is a Jewish book, Daniel. All peoples, nations, and men, not just the Jews, of every language, worshipped him. This is written in a book called the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, in which they're told over and over again, only God can have worship. No man, not even the high priest, not Moses, not Abraham, not David, no one can get worship. Whoever this son of man is, son of man in indicates he's human, but he must also be God. How do you know that, Joe? Because he's getting authority, glory, sovereign power, and all peoples will worship him. How long will his kingdom last, you ask? His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That can't be a man, a regular man. He's going to die. That will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's the kingdom of God. So when you hear son of man, the Jews would understand what I just read to you. Now I'll go back to Matthew. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good one. 37. The one who sowed the good seeds, the son of man. He's saying, I'm the one that's sowing the seed in this parable. Verse 38, the field is the church. No, Israel. No, let's let Jesus talk. It's the world. Got it? The whole world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Believers, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, you are one of them. Got it? Okay, but I'm, I'm, this is like a, almost a joke, but it's not a joke. A joke has a punchline. There's a punchline here that's going to shock you. I just want to warn you, or it might not. Who knows? The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, believers. The weeds are the people of the evil one. How many teams are there? Two. The people uh, of the kingdom, the people of the evil one. What about the people that are on the fence, and the, there's no third category. If you don't believe the gospel, even if you're a nice woman or a nice man or child, you're of the evil one. You're on the weeds team, the devil team, Satan team. I know that's offensive. Sorry, I didn't write it. Okay. Mm -hmm, wrong verse. Okay. 
The weeds of the people of the evil one, verse 39, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. No wonder he hates God. He hates Jesus. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, which is hell, folks, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's the other saying of Jesus, which means, listen up, that was really important. Okay, let's talk about it. Verse 37, son of man, we already discussed. It's the Messiah. It's God in human flesh, clearly. It's a man, son of man, and yet he's worshiped. Hello? He's given an everlasting kingdom. So notice whose field is it? You look back at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven. Oh, no, sorry, wrong, wrong verse. Um, verse 24 is what I mean. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in what? His field. What's the field? The world. Whose world is it? Well, Satan is the god of this world, temporary position. It's really Christ's. The whole world belongs to him. Old Testament says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You ever heard that? Jesus Christ is the owner of the property. What property? The whole world. Revelation chapter 6 is the seven seals. Do you remember that? There's a scroll with seven seals on it. And John weeps because there's nobody found worthy to take the seal. The seven seals off and open the scroll. Most scholars think that scroll is the title deed to planet Earth, to the world. Jesus comes, opens the seven seals. He's the rightful owner. He's got squatters living, living on it right now, you and me. It's really all his. The land you think you own, I'm the Cadillac and the Rolex and whatever else you have, it's really not yours. And if you have a Rolex, sell it and give the money to the church. Okay. Let's, um, the weeds are the people of the evil one. There's only two teams. Okay. Um, now I'm going to save the punchline. I'm still waiting on that. Um, so uh, in verse 38, I want you to see, well, verse 37. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Do you know what that means? That means that he, God, Christ, planted you where and when you were born. I'm going to show you a verse that blows my mind um, in that regard. And it's in Acts chapter 17. And this is one I want you to turn to. So after the book of John comes Acts. It's the wood chopping book. Acts, no, nobody, sorry. Acts 17, Acts 17, 26. If you have heard in science class that you are just a cosmic accident, we just evolved from slime and lower primates and monkeys and apes, and you're just a cosmic accident. The Bible says there's a Greek word for that, baloney. 
Look at Acts 17, verse 26. From one man, that's Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Here it comes. And he, that's God, determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Well, I chose to live in Oklahoma. Maybe you think you did. I chose to be born in, no, you didn't. God chose not only the place, but the time. And we're living, ladies and gentlemen, in an exciting time in human history. This might be the beginning of the birth pangs, or maybe they began a while ago, and we might see some crazy stuff go down. We might be the generation that sees what people have been waiting for for a long time. Okay, uh, but I wanted you to see you're no accident. You were placed where you are in the world, meaning what? Now that I'm an adult and I'm a Christian, I'm going to go live in a Christian commune up in North Fork. We've got big fences. It's just the Christians. We don't want anything to do with the world. Not biblical. Sorry. Sounds nice, doesn't it? We're supposed to be spreading seeds. You can't spread seeds in a commune. Well, I'll text my non-Christian friend. You've got to be in the world, but not of the world. My old pastor used to say, it's like a rowboat. A rowboat is 12 feet long, whatever, pretty big. But compared to the ocean, it's really, 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 really small. You're surrounded by ocean, but you're in a rowboat. You're in the world, but not of it. But if enough ocean gets in the rowboat, leaks, waves, the rowboat becomes part of the ocean because it disappears. It sinks in the world, but not of it. Okay, you're not an accident. It's also, he's also telling them it's an earthly kingdom, not just a Jewish kingdom. It's the world. Um, by the way, some people think the field is the church, but he said it's the world. Um, okay, so the devil sows bad seeds, people all around us. Yeah, I know who those evil people are. Some of my neighbors, and I hate them. Wrong attitude. I'm never going to talk to them. Wrong attitude. Because here comes the punchline. You probably already figured it out. Every single weed, uh, sorry, every single stalk of wheat, believer, right? Whether Jewish or Gentile, including me, including you, were formerly, wait for it, weeds. You never know. Somebody may have known me when I was getting drunk and using drugs and doing all the other bad things I did and thought, that guy will never become a Christian. But somebody else, two people in high school, witnessed to me so much. And here I am, right? You never know. I've told you the story before, it's been a long time. In the sixth grade, a friend of mine and I went to our elementary school on a Saturday or a Sunday, I think it was a Saturday, and just to hang out and, you know, have fun at the school. Nobody's there. And a kid came who was three or four years older than us. And when you're 11 or 12 and you're this big and the other kid is only four or five years older, 
Now at my age, who cares, four or five years old, then it was like, whoa, he's a big kid. This kid was mean and he bullied my friend and I, okay? And I never saw him again. Then I heard about him in high school. He got in all kinds of trouble. Mike Sharon was his name. Then I heard after high school, he became a hell's angel. Duh, what else would he become? Some evil dude. Guess what? Then he became a pastor. Had I thought, that guy's a weed if there ever was a Darnell, a tear, wrong, you never know. Right? Are we not to be able to see that sin and that's not? Yes. Don't judge the sinner. You never know. God may be working on him. Everybody here, you were all weeds. Me too. So, but the, the point of the parable is still coming. And that is um, that, okay, I'm going to find the right verse now. The enemy who sows them is the devil, verse 39. The harvest is the end of the age. What do you mean? The end of the world. The second coming. This answers the question. I've gotten this at question and answer things a lot. Why doesn't God, who's all good, yes, and all powerful, yes, can't he see who's evil and who's not? Why doesn't he just wipe out all evil right now? What's he waiting for? This answers the question. And what I just said answers the question. He's waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in and then the fullness of the Jews. Everybody he intends to save, everybody that's going to be wheat, even the ones that look like weeds, he's going to transform them born again. We have to wait till the end. And if he wiped out all the evil people too early, some people wouldn't make it who he intends to save. Well, you don't know who it is. Correct. That's why you just indiscriminately tell people about Jesus. And some will throw something at you, and some will tell you to get lost and laugh at you, but some will come to you in tears and go, remember what you said to me a year ago? Boy, that really convicted me. You never know. Okay, now that I've made you feel guilty, let's, <laughs> let's keep rolling. Um, the devil sows bad seeds in the world. The bad, even worse news is the devil has got some of his team in churches. And they can say, praise God, and thank you, Jesus, and in Jesus' name. And they can close their eyes and pray, and they're not really saved. You're saying you know who they are? I'm not. We can judge fruit, somebody that's continuing in sin, that's saying they're a Christian. First John says, not fruit. They're not a believer. But the problem is we're going to be in a world among unbelievers. We might as well get used to it. No Christian communes. Um, instead, we spread the gospel. We trust God with every moment of our lives. The harvest does come at the end of the age. And the harvesters, his assistants, the son of man's, are angels, we learn. Okay? Angels help in the harvesting. Verse 40. Well, what happens at the end? As the weeds are pulled Verse 40, the weeds are pulled and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels. My, I can't resist saying Matthew says, 24, there'll be a trumpet sound. 
He'll come in the clouds. His angels will gather his elect from the four winds on earth and the four corners of the earth, sorry, and the four corners of heaven. Okay. Um, that's what happened at the end of the age. There is a judgment day. Son of man's going to send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. He's a good judge. He can judge where you and I can't. Why is that? He can see the heart, right? Some people just know how to act Christian, and they're not. God sees right through those people. So what's going to happen to them? Verse 42, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where those words weeping and gnashing of teeth occur in the Bible, it's always referring to hell. The, the tense of the verbs does not say they're going to weep and gnash their teeth and then they'll be snuffed out. Annihilation. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses, some other cults believe. The tense of the verb is weeping, ongoing weeping, gnashing of teeth, ongoing gnashing of teeth, where their worm does not die. Outer darkness, these are all terms for hell. It doesn't please me to talk about it, um, but it's true. There's eternal reward for believers, the wheat. There's eternal fire. Another term for hell in the Bible is where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. We can't even imagine that. You know, you put, well, I have wood in my fireplace right now. My wife's home with a fire going, but there's only so much wood in the fireplace. If she just leaves it, it's going to go out. This is an eternal flame and it's not a good one. Um, that, there is a judgment day coming. Um, for all who do not believe. The criteria by which people are judged is not just sin. It's Jesus, right? What did you do with Jesus? He doesn't ask, did you ever sin? Because you and I would have to go, well, yeah, a couple million times probably. You know the number, Lord. And he's going to say, no, I don't. I forgave it all. It's erased from the books. It just says, under your name, paid for by the blood of my son, Jesus. I don't know the number. Well, Lord, I'm really sorry for that thing I did in September of 1999. I've, it's been on my conscience. And he says, Joe, why are you apologizing for something I forgave and forgot a long time ago? But Revelation 20, every unbeliever, books are open. I'm thinking really thick books. And every single thing an unbeliever did, said, or thought that wasn't good, that was sin against God's will, will be judged, mentioned, and that's why they're there. People go to hell because they said, no thanks to Jesus. I don't want to hear that. Planted by the evil one. Weeds can sometimes become wheat. But I want to make clear to you, wheat never can become weeds. What do you mean? Someone that's truly saved can't lose their salvation. If you knew someone that was a believer for nine years and taught Bible study and acted all holy, and now they're a drug addict living on the streets, and either they were never really saved, 
or if they were, it's not over. That guy's going to come back. If he's truly saved, God will leave the 99 sheep and go get the one that's astray. Um, just wanted to mention that. But there will be ultimate justice done in the end. We have to be patient, unfortunately. Another term for fire, uh, for hell, is unquenchable fire, same as the lake of fire, everlasting fire. Uh, yeah, we already covered all that outer darkness. Okay, we're moving on. Still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, that was a quick one. Just seeing if you're awake. Um, uh, in any case, verse 43, then the righteous, you say, I don't feel that righteous. He makes you righteous. It, that means all believers. The righteous will shine like the sun, S-U-N. They'll shine like the sun, S-O-N. They'll reflect his glory. They'll shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Heaven is eternal. The same word for heaven, the descriptive word eternal, is used of hell, eternal. If hell is not eternal, then neither is heaven. It's the same word, but they both are. Our destinies, all of people on planet Earth that have ever lived, all depend on this. What did you do with Jesus Christ? Those that were Jews looking forward to the coming of the Lord believed in a coming Messiah. We live after Jesus' life on earth. We look back and believe. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Okay, now we're going to go back to uh, verse 31, which we skipped, right? Which we don't usually do. I did it because Jesus interpreted that parable. Now go back to verse 31, which we haven't covered yet. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. That's it. That's the whole parable. Unfortunately for you, Jesus doesn't explain, here's what's going on with this one. Joe has to do that, unfortunately. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 31. Um, so first of all, a mustard seed, for those of you that are nitpickers, in the entire world, is it small? It's small. Is it the smallest seed in the world? No. Is it the smallest seed in Israel? It is. It's the smallest seed of garden plants. Okay, so what's going on here? They always use mustard seed as the symbolic word for something really small. It was, you know, how he's so dumb. He's, his brain must be the size of a mustard seed. Forgive me, Lord, for that. I'm sorry. Okay, 31. Um, but they used it to represent something small. When mature, a mustard seed will grow into a mustard bush, which is eight to 10 feet tall almost always. Not that big. Unusually, they can get 10 to 15 feet big which, okay, tree, uh, birds could nest 
in the in something that even though it's a small tree, it's a tree. Okay. Now this parable and the ones that we're going to cover later tonight, and if we get don't have time, we'll do it next week. I got to explain to you my job as a teacher is to give you the majority opinion among scholars. I'll tell you my opinion, but there's two views on this, and they're really different, okay? View number one, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, okay? View number one is the mustard seed is um, Christianity, the gospel. Got it? And the point Jesus is making is for his ragtag little group of 11 real disciples and Judas, even when he dies and he's had three and a half years to, of ministry, there's 120 people in the upper room. It's really small. His point is, even though Christianity starts so small and looks so weak and we don't have doctors, lawyers, we don't have a bunch of money behind us and we can't buy a stadium in Houston, we um, can't get much done with this little group. His point is this thing is going to explode exponentially in growth. This is idea number one about this parable. Although it's the smallest of the seeds, once planted, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. The whole meaning of the parable in idea number one is from something very, very small and seemingly insignificant, something gigantic, almost unnaturally huge is going to come. Okay, that's theory number one. Might be right. Some of these where there's two opinions, I have a feeling both could be right. Sometimes Jesus says things with there's two layers of meaning. Okay, so what's the other idea about this parable? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Christianity starts small, yes. This is the other theory. Though it's the smallest of seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. Okay, birds are often in the Bible seen as evil. Who stole the seed on the path that was hard? Birds, which when he explained that, what did he say? The birds represent what? Satan. Okay, wait, now you're losing me here. Christianity, yes, starts small, yes, grows into a tree that's big and becomes so big that even some evil people, birds, infiltrate the church? Is that what you're saying? Yes. A lot of people believe that's what it means. There are instances in the Old Testament where birds are not evil, but there's a lot where they're evil. Um, emissaries of Satan, Matthew 13, twice, Revelation 18, Old Testament as well. Okay, so that's the two views. Remember that the disciples want him to establish the kingdom now. In Acts 1, when he's going to ascend, they go, are you now at this time going to establish the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know. You go preach the gospel, see you later, and he ascends to heaven. That's my translation. 
okay? It's got to happen at the end of the age where there's a judgment, where the whole kingdom is truly set up spiritually and even physically. Um, the Christianity that starts small is going to get unnaturally big, and even there will be within the tree some birds. You got to be careful. Whenever somebody's phone rings, it means I said one thing that was right. So that's, that's at least one. Um, okay. So um, size and influence will increase. And by the way, Christianity is the largest religion on planet Earth. Did you know that? Close second, believe it or not, is Islam, the Muslim faith. Christianity is the largest uh, religion on planet Earth. Okay, so that's the two meanings of that parable. Um, here comes another parable, kind of similar. Verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's the whole parable. Nice and short. What does it mean? Same thing. Two opinions. They might both be right. The obvious meaning to me, at least on the surface, is if you know anything about dough, ladies, that you got a bunch of dough, you can take very little leaven, which is yeast, mix it in, and it's enough to permeate and spread through the whole batch of dough. With me? Remember that a mustard tree only grows to eight or 10 feet, but in a freakish, weird, unnatural way, it can get as big as 12 to 15 feet. Okay, what's your point, Joe? Um, King James has, for this amount of dough, three measures of meal. Okay, this is one woman baking in her little kitchen. Can you imagine? Here's the weird thing. This is a freakish amount of dough. It's enough dough to make enough bread for 100 people. Not a normal baking. It's unnaturally big, so that meaning may be like the mustard seed, something very small, just a little bit of leaven permeates and goes through the whole world. It's going to spread to every nation on earth, right? The gospel will be preached in every nation, and then the end shall come. Jesus agrees. Okay. Theory number two for the leaven or the yeast. Jesus warns the disciples, beware of the leaven yeast of the Pharisees. Leaven in the Old Testament and in the New is almost always evil. So is this just that the kingdom is going to start small and get big again and permeate the whole earth? Might be. But might it also be that as it does so, there are some birds in the tree, some um, evil, paganizing influences, G. Campbell Morgan called it. Hard to say. Um, and by the way, we haven't gotten to the two parables that are, blew my mind this week that I can't make up my mind which of the two is right. Um, but um, most scholars for this one think uh, and I'll show you why, that the leaven doesn't necessarily mean evil here. It's just from something small, it grows up big, 
in a, in a mustard seed, and in leaven, it permeates through the earth, that it gets all the way across the globe. Let me show you this verse. Um, uh, the kingdom of heaven, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like, what? Yeast, leaven. If you take that on face value, it can't mean evil, because then you substitute the word evil. The kingdom of heaven is like evil that a woman took and mixed into. I'm expecting him to say the kingdom of heaven is like flour, like the dough, and then there's a little bit of evil that gets in and it can permeate. So I don't think it's evil in this one for that reason. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven. So I think he's just saying that it it permeates, it grows. And that might be all that he's saying with the mustard seed one. When we get to heaven, we can ask him, and you can come and find me if I end up there and go, see, you were wrong, and I'll go, duh, okay. We still have a few minutes. Um, uh, G- verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Doesn't mean he never spoke any word that was literal. It just means in his public teaching, he has switched now to parables for the reasons we talked about at the beginning of the Bible study. So what was fulfilled, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. What he's quoting there, I believe, uh, let me look at my notes, is Psalm um, 78. Predicted that he's going to end up speaking in parables, sort of in code language, if you will. Um, So let's see. Remember the context, though, overall, for the argument for the evil stuff, the birds and what have you. The context is we have tares among wheat, which is bad, right? Coming up next week, we're going to have among all the good fish, when the big net is thrown out, the drag net, there will be bad fish too. So it may be tares among wheat, bad fish among the good, both good and evil uh, in God's kingdom. We already talked about that and that. Uh, (laughs) Okay, let's at least introduce the two conundrum parables and then we'll close and hopefully it'll make you come back and figure it out next week with me. Um, Let's see, verse 44. What follows in verse 44, 45 and 46 as two short parables. They're going to look really simple to you. These are the two that uh, have taken up way too much of my time this week. Here they are. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's parable number one. Again, the kingdom, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, there's something in common here, right? And it's value. 
So we'll talk about this next week, not now. The question is, is there something going on here besides the fact that something very valuable is more valuable than anything the guy has? Is the guy who buys the pearl and is the guy who finds the treasure you or me? Who realizes how valuable um, Christ or Christianity is or is there something else going on? That's all I'm going to say. You have to come back next week, same time, same bat channel. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thank you, Father, for this time we could spend in your word. Um, we love learning from you, Father. And we know that where two or more are gathered, that you're here. Christ is here. Um, and it's so wonderful. Lord, we have been changed from tares to wheat. We've been changed uh, from people on the team of Satan to the team of God, your team. All because you changed us, we did never and could never change ourselves. Therefore, we owe you everything. And indeed, you have allowed us the privilege to understand things that prophets and angels long to look, look into. What an awesome thing. May we never squander or take for granted the fact that we have your word and we can dive into it and learn and grow. Lastly, Lord, help us to be citizens of heaven, but those who live on the earth and are spreading seeds for the farmer, which is you, wherever we see them, wherever we see people. No matter how evil or wicked they look, we can pray for them, we can witness to them, God. We pray that you would use us for your glory, Father. Thank you for these truths and for these people, God. What an encouragement it is that people want to study your word on a Tuesday night. Thank you for your goodness and for your son, Jesus, the greatest gift of all. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know who's here. That's really important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.